It's the uh, summer of 2005. Um, I'm getting a job transfer from Northern Virginia to Central California. My, my wife just got engaged. We got engaged at that point. It wasn't my wife. Um, we're going to go look for a house where we're gonna, after we get married in a few months and uh, take a trip across country, see some family along the way, just spend some time together as we uh, get ready for this next part of our lives together. And uh, we leave out of D.C., headed westbound, and about two, two and a half hours into the drive, it's time to make a stop. And so we get off the exit, and um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind, Leander Slender Ranch, why don't you play along, if we can do a little social experiment at this point, Okay. I'm exiting the highway, and gentlemen, only the guys, what do you think my criteria is for looking for a place to stop? Like, what, what am I looking for? The price of what? Price of gas. It's the most important thing right now. Ladies? Oh, hold on. Let me ask you first. Let me ask you. I'm going to get there. Lady, all you single guys, listen up. I'm going to give you a gift right now. I'm about to give you a gift. Ladies, when you are on a road trip, what is the most important criteria that you are looking for? Praise God for Bucky's. Um, <laughs> but do you think I know this at the time? I do not. So we get off the exit. There's plenty of options, and I'm looking for the lowest number, and I see it, and I pull into the parking lot up next to the pump, and it's at that point I notice or I feel, I sense with my fiancé intuition, Heather's looking at me, and it's not because I've done something right. And I'm racking my brain at that point. What did I do? What did I say? I couldn't, like, I couldn't have messed up. We haven't, like, we've been listening to music. And then I do this, hey, sheepishly, and she looks at me and she's like, you do not expect me to go to the bathroom here. And it's at that point I look up at the gas station, and it was one of those old school gas stations, you know, where the bathroom was a door around the side. Like, you actually, like, check this out, kids. You actually had to go in, talk to someone. They gave you a key with a hubcap attached to it, right, so that you could walk around and hopefully not find a dead body. At least that's what you're thinking you were going to find when you go in there. And so I, like, I, my memory's not like perfect, but there might have been a guy in a rocking chair, overalls, no shirt, and a banjo. That might have been, that might have been the case. So, what do I do? I, I insist. I'm like, babe, this is the best gas. You're gonna have to go to the bathroom here. No, I didn't. <laughs> Are you crazy? I mean, I'd be dead at that gas station. It'd be my body stuffed in there. But that started, for us as we get married, a long conversation and series of conversations about, hey, what are your expectations? Because I thought my expectation for Heather is, you know, when you stop, gas price, number one thing. Heather expected for me to know expectation, bathroom cleanliness is the most important thing. But I didn't know that. We had some unmet expectation. And so we started to talk about, hey, what's your uh, expectations for our anniversary? What are you looking for? Right? It's good intel. Um, what, what's your expectations for our vacation? Like, what do you make sure we want to do? Uh, sweetheart, what's your expectation for how much time we will spend with your in-laws? Um, <laughs> my in-laws, her parents. Um, because, right, you like me, like all of us, we want to um, not have unmet expectations as much as is possible. So have you been there? 
Have you been in the place of having your expectations not met? Maybe you thought your friends, your family were going to do this amazing thing for your birthday and not so much. Maybe you thought your expectation was, I would get picked for the play, I would get picked for the team, or I would get that part in the play, or I would get that starting position on the team, and that didn't happen. Maybe for some of us, you're like, man, I, I, I expected to be further along in my career. I expected to be further along in my retirement goals. I expected to be further along in my recovery. Maybe for some of us, it's like, I'd like to expect that my kids would have made different decisions when they left the home. And the reality is that unmet expectations both are universal. We all experience them, and they're hard. But you know what's harder? When it's God who hasn't met our expectations. Has this happened to you? Like, God, I prayed that this would not happen. And that's what happened. Or, God, I'm praying that you would allow this to happen. But it didn't. You're like, God, we prayed and we worked hard and I tried everything I could as a spouse and it still didn't work out. God, we as a couple prayed and we sought you and it didn't work because our kids are not where they need to be. God, I prayed and I worked and I did everything that they expected of me and I still lost my job. God, we went and did the thing that you were calling us to do, and we prayed, and nothing seemed to happen. God, we expected because we did pray and you did show up that that would last. And when it's a day or two, it felt like life was right back to normal. Have you been there? See, the reality is unmet expectations are a part of life. And in that moment, we have a choice. Because some people, in the midst of unmet expectations, they grow bitter. They grow angry. Some say, like, I've had it, I quit, I'm out. But others choose something different. So as we, as we dive into this conversation and begin to talk about unmet expectation, here's the big idea I want to put before us as we get rolling, and it's this, that unmet expectations are an opportunity. That God is on his throne, he is working, he hasn't left you, that he is very much involved in your life. And therefore, that that when we sense that, like, man, I'm a little disappointed, God let me down, or whatever we would say, like, ah, it's actually an opportunity if we can press into some of this and because of that see some of this. That if you and I, in that moment, when we feel those expectations being unmet, that, okay, like, what's, what's the humble response in this moment? So possibly, and I would say almost always, if we start there, then growth will happen. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, again, we've been in this series called Rain, where God is working through these human kings and human prophets, but he's the one who's on the throne. Although it's human actors, there's a God behind everything where his plan is being carried out. His plan is working out. And we've also said that in the midst of God's reign, he has a part for everyone who wants to say yes to him to play. And so last week we saw Elijah and we met him and started to hear about his story. And he had an amazing day, huge victory. But what we're going to do today is look at the next day where Elijah's not having a great day. I'm going to submit to you it's because of unmet expectations. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to 1 Kings 19, 
1 Kings 19, we're going to start in verse 1. And the first truth that you and I are going to press into as we think about, okay, God, what do we do when it's God who fails to meet our expectations? Like when we're in that moment and we're wrestling with God, like, okay, what do we do then? First truth, look for God's grace. That what you do and what I do in the moment is we look for God's grace. That There's more going on than we can readily see. So as you're finding your place in 1 Kings, let me just remind us of where we were last week. That there was this confrontation with the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. We're going to find out who the real God is. And so Elijah, the God of Israel, representing the God of Israel, the God of Yahweh, on one side, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah on the other side. They meet on Mount Carmel. Here's the deal. You uh, give a sacrifice, you call on your God. Elijah, you make a sacrifice, you call on your God. And the God who answers by fire, that's the true God. So sure enough, Baal and Asherah prophets, they do it, put their offering up there. And all day they're ranting, they're raving, they're cutting themselves, they're doing all their rituals. No one answers. And then Elijah steps forward, prepares his sacrifice, prays, and a bolt from heaven comes down, incinerates the sacrifice, the altar, everything around it. The people that are there witnessing it fall down. Yahweh is God, they cry out. At Elijah's command, 850 prophets are executed. At this point, King Ahab, who is there, gets in his chariot, heads to Jezreel. Elijah grabs up his robe and starts running to the same place. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He gets there, pulls his wife aside, and explains the whole thing that happened on Mount Carmel. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Jezebel gets the word, she gets the news, and she is furious. We found out earlier in the, in the series that Jezebel is the benefactor, so to speak. She's the one that really um, took uh, Baal worship and made it a thing, Asher worship, and really spread it through the, through the nation. These are her guys that Elijah dispatched of, and she is angry. And just so we're clear, this is no idle threat. Jezebel has already proven that she will carry it out, and she's killed prophets before many of them. But you have to imagine, right? Here's Elijah. He's coming off this great victory, right? We said last week, man, he was trash-talking them. He was like, man, your God's in the bathroom. Louder. Like, I would imagine, right, as the messenger comes up to Elijah, Elijah listens, and he goes, hey, how about this? How about you go tell uh, um, Jezebel to bring it? In fact, why don't you go back and tell her she's the one in trouble? Hey, why don't you go back and tell her, you know, the 850? How about we make it 850 and 1? How does Elijah respond? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Why? I would submit to you it's unmet expectations. I would submit to you that as Elijah runs back from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, he thinks, finally, finally revival is going to come. Finally, God has answered. He's calling his people back. 
at some level, I think Elijah in this moment thinks that he's going to be the one God's going to use to lead it. That God, in fact, like he answered Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel. Elijah's the one, the one, literally, who stands up for God. So God is obviously going to use me. So Elijah's running back to Jezreel to see it happen. In fact, this was Elijah's prayer right before um, God rains fire down on the altar. Look at what Elijah says. He prays, answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people, like all the Israelites that are around, will know that you, Lord, are God. God answered that prayer. In the moment after the fire, right, they all fall down. Yahweh is God, they cry out. Second part of his prayer. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Elijah expects, I think at one level, God answered the first part of my prayer. God's going to answer the second part of my prayer. So he goes to Jezreel thinking he's going to step into a revival. I imagine Je- um, Elijah gets there and he's like, man, I'm going to see guys like tearing down Baal temples and, and Asherah poles. They're going to start building altars to the Lord. It's going to be a revival. Elijah gets there. There's not even one guy with a placard down with Jezebel. There's no one rising up. There's no revival. There's no one with a T-shirt. I'm with Elijah. And in fact, Elijah's there and he's sitting, how can this be? Ahab and Jezebel are the ones who need to be in trouble and I'm the one in trouble? I would imagine that Elijah in his head and heart is like, God, I did what you told me to do. But I was the only one, oh, by the way. Have you been there? Or like, God, I did what you said. Like, I prayed, I worked, I, I tried to obey. It didn't work out for me. Unmet expectation. We were talking about this point um, in our sermon review on Friday. And what we said in that moment, someone says, like, the reality is God's the one who calls us into the game. But winning the game is up to God. That what God does is he calls us to play our part. But whatever that part is, he's the one that brings the victory. He's the one that brings the outcome. And so Elijah's there. He's got unmet expectations, and so he runs. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, so he heads south. Beersheba is the last town in Judah where you can still be in the promised land. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. I don't think, just to be clear, that Elijah is suicidal. I think he's despondent. See, Elijah knows well enough that it's God who decides um, life and death. It's God who creates life, and it's God who takes it. He doesn't presume to step into that place for God. But he is really discouraged. And something he does expect, I think, is he expects to lay down and not to wake up. He's in a bad spot. And you might wonder at this point, like, wow, like how is God going to react? What is God going to do with his prophet? He's going to give him grace. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. And when you hear Horeb, think Mount Sinai. Think the mountain where Moses met with God in a burning bush, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night. To his despondent prophet, God shows him grace. How? God cooks. God cooks for him twice. Utterly amazing. God says to the angel, hey, go make a meal for Elijah. Have him rest. Now, just as an aside, okay, I think often we forget, or it's at least easy for me to forget, that one of the best things I can do for my spiritual condition is take care of my physical condition, like get a good night's rest, maybe have a good meal. And it's easy oftentimes to say, hey, like if I'm discouraged, if I'm having a hard time or someone in front of me, I'm like, hey, um, I turn into spiritual fix-it guy. Like, have you confessed all known sin? Have you been praying um, regularly? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been in community? Have you done all the things? Are you disobeying God in a way that you know and he's trying to get you to do something? I'm not saying we don't ask those questions. I'm just saying maybe not first. God offers him grace. But where Elijah is, is he's so despondent, he's so discouraged, he's so frustrated, he's looking at his unmet expectation, and he can't see everything else that's going on. He's like, God, you didn't do this thing. And so he discounts all the other things that God is doing. Then when we read Elijah's story, like miracle after miracle that God does in and through this man, and he just forgets. Have you been there? Over the years, I've had the um, pleasure of going to Disney World. Um, You know Disney World. The place of magic and memories. The place where cartoon characters and movie characters come to life. And where this little mouse robs you of all your money. (laughs) Ah, Disney World. Several years ago, I'm there, it's the afternoon, we're, I'm getting some stuff for the family at a concession stand, and I'm behind a dad and a little boy, he's probably like five, and I can tell in their conversation, they're in um, negotiations, let's say. Um, the father's point of negotiation is you are allowed one thing. You can either have the candy or the ice cream cone or the soda or the cotton candy, where the, the little boy's uh, position is, How about all four? And so they're going back and forth, tense negotiation, I can tell you. Um, But then sure enough, it's their turn. They're at the front, and the dad does what dads tend to do. He got him the one thing. And I think it was an ice cream cone. He grabs it and hands it to his son, and his son goes, oh, thanks, dad. No, he didn't. He had a meltdown, a full-on meltdown right there with the ice cream cone in his hand. And I couldn't help but think, like as I reflected on that picture, like here's this kid, five years old, right, in the midst of a magical land, 
Like there's a castle right there. All these cartoon characters that he's been watching, he's like meeting them, taking pictures with them. He can't see it. He can't see any of it. Why? Because this one thing didn't go my way. This one thing I'm frustrated about, this expectation I had, and it didn't get met. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I got that right. Are the things that you and I expect important? Are they significant? Often, yes, very much so. All I'm saying is it's not all that's going on. It's not all that's going on. Elijah, if you could look back and see all that God is doing. Yes, you're in a tough spot with Jezebel. Granted, just by point of fact, is, uh, is Jezebel going to be able to get to him on Mount Horeb? No. What do you do in the midst of unmet expectations? I think what would help is if we look for God's grace. You're saying, like, okay, Eric, well, like, how do we do that? Here's something. I did this, this this week in my journal. On one side, right, you've done a T-chart before, right? On one side, I'm like, okay, unmet expectations. And I sort of list some things. You have them, I have them. God, I wish you had done that. God, I wish I, that had gone differently. God, we talked about that and that didn't happen. And just write them down. Let them be a confession. He already knows. Why not talk to him about it? And then on the other side of the page, all of God's graces, big and small. Man, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the cup of coffee. Thank you that it's a few degrees cooler. Why? Because if you and I could take a step back and, and not just focus on the thing that, that's right, getting at us in the moment, we would see all of God's grace. Because what's true in your life and what's true in my life is if we could actually list them out, this may have a few things on it, and you would never get to the end of that list. Is that true? It's true. So for you and I, in the midst of those moments where it's like, man, God, feels like you let me down. What do we do? We look for God's grace. Second, we submit to God's reign. We submit to God's reign. Back to uh, verse 9. Elijah's on the mountain. It says, and the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. There's a couple observations. One is God's still talking to his prophet. Notice who initiates the conversation. God does. God does. He hasn't cast them off. He's not given them the cold shoulder. God's still pursuing him. What else I love about this is the language God uses. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? The picture is not God distant somewhere, maybe arms folded, like, hey, Elijah, what are you doing over there? Like, what's your problem, Elijah? That's not the picture. You know what the picture is? In the cave, as Elijah sits there, God looks at him and he says, hey, what are you doing here? 
He's with him. In the midst of your unmet expectations and my unmet expectations, God is not far away. He's here. How does Elijah respond? He has this complaint. And now we know what he's been thinking about, ruminating on for the past 40 days and 40 nights. Paraphrase, God, you did me wrong. Like, it's not fair. Like, I shouldn't be treated like this. They should be treated like this. And particularly, God, for you, since the fact that I'm the only one you've got. And now they're trying to get me. We're going to talk about that I'm the only one here in a minute. How does God reply? What's God going to say to his disgruntled prophet? The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It's the King James that says a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Commentators at this point will try it sometimes to like figure out, like, oh, what does the earthquake mean? Or what does a fire mean? Or I don't think that's the point. I think the point is God is showing up for Elijah and he's giving him a fresh perspective. He's giving a, a fresh vision of God's majesty, God's power. Why? Because right now, as Elijah is stuck in his unmet expectations, he's like Jezebel's power, what Jezebel can do. And God shows up, and let me just show you, let's put that in perspective for you. That there's a God in heaven who has more power, way more power than Je- Jezebel? Are you kidding me? What's interesting about this scene is this is not the first time this has played out or the first time this has played out on this mountain. Moses is on this mountain hundreds of years previous. He's been leading Israel, good days, bad days. And God shows up, smoke, fire, earthquake, voice. And in that moment, what Moses does is he's humbled. He turns to God in obedience. He carries out what God has for him to do. I think that's part of what God is doing. When you see me afresh, Elijah, the response is humility. There's another gentleman in, in your Bible a few hundred years before that. His name is Job. It's not on this mountain, such as we know. But Job goes through a tremendously hard season. Man loses family, livelihood, his health. And in his wrestling, Job looks to God. He's like, I want you to answer me. Like, why is this happening? And God in his grace shows up to Job, explains a lot more than what Job can see. Because I think what God is doing with Job is the thing he's trying to get Elijah to do. This is what Job says. It says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Right? Job gets this fresh vision of God and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent. He begins to submit to the reign of God. I repent in dust and ashes. 
And I think that's what God is trying to get Elijah to do. So how does Elijah respond? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He can't make it. The same thing he just said. What I think is interesting is um, the same thing that Elijah is frustrated with the people of God about, like they won't turn back to, to God, is the same thing that he's struggling with here. And I wonder for us today if you maybe have some unmet expectations with God. Like as you sit here, you're like, God, I prayed and I worked and it didn't work out for me. I prayed and I worked and you let me down. God, I prayed and I worked and it went the opposite of how I prayed. And maybe there's a gentle whisper for you. Maybe there's a still small voice for you today. Maybe this is your Mount Sinai where God says, come back. God says, I've been here all along. He says, I've seen you. I know you're upset. I can take it. And he's inviting you and I maybe today to submit to his reign. You might say, like, hey, Eric, how do I do that? Maybe you start with a prayer. I wrote this down. Maybe your words would be different, probably. But, Father, help me understand what you're doing in my life. It's something I pray often. You are God and I am not. Please speak to me and help me. I submit myself to your reign. Maybe today's the day where you get a fresh picture of who God is as God calls you by his spirit. What are you doing here? Why? Because he hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. Your unmet expectations have not like, oh, I'm done with that guy. I'm done with that girl. No, in the midst of our unmet expectations, what God is doing is he's speaking and he's working and he's calling us back. Would you submit to my reign? So for you and I, like, what are we going to do first? Man, we're going to look for God's grace because it's always there. Second, we're going to submit to his reign. And this is where the story is going to conclude, at least for today, is we're going to trust in God's plan. We're going to trust in God's plan. Look at verse uh, 15. says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elijah will put to death any who escaped the uh, sword of Jehu. 
verse 18. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What God is saying to Elijah is like, my plan is so intact. Elijah, my plan is working out. Elijah, this guy's going to be king, and then this guy, this guy's going to do this, and this guy's going to do that. And oh, by the way, Elisha's going to succeed you, so go ahead and anoint him. You can't help but read the end. After all this interaction, after the cooking, after the time, after the God shows up, that God says, don't worry, please don't ever worry, I got this. He's like, I got this. I think what he's saying about the 7,000 Seven, right, the number of wholeness, completeness in the Bible. Um, thousand, think multitude. Is what God is saying to Elijah, what he's saying to us is, man, I've got everyone I possibly need to do what I need to get done. Elijah, you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's going to go through unmet expectations. And you're not the only one I'm using. You're not the only one I'm going to work through. But do you want to play your part? What's amazing about God's grace to Elijah is like you still get to play. Like we're going to see Elijah in the New Testament. He's on another mountain with Moses and Jesus. Like God is still working through this man. It gives me great encouragement and hope because I'm so much like him. And so what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in the moment of like, man, I'm struggling to trust God's plan. I'm just going to leave us with two, uh, two thoughts, two, two things to think about as we press forward. And his first is warning. Watch out for growing bitterness. You probably picked it up in that last paragraph. But God just told Elisha, hey, go get your successor. Like I said, God's still going to use him. But at least in this part of his story, it's coming to an end. And I wonder for you. Like there's been something that's happened along the way where God let you down, where you're like, man, that was unfair. I can't believe you did that. And you, like you said, like, that's enough. You said, I'm not going to play anymore. And although for you and I, we can never lose our salvation, we're fully in God's grasp all the days of our life. But we can't take ourselves off the field. We can't take ourselves out of the game. And I wonder for some of us if like today's not the day where God's like, I see you. Come back and play your part. I'm not finished with you. You still have a place to come here. Because there's a place for you and what God is doing in this time. There was still a place for Elijah in his. God's not done with you. And second, step into God's plan. Step into God's plan. Do you know how you're wired? Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know how God would like to use you? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you figured out, man, this is what God can do in me. This is what I'm good at. This is how I would love to see God use me. Have you thought through those? Have you taken steps in them? As you sit here today, you're like, I know how God has wired me, and I'm doing it. I'm on the field. I'm playing. Is that you? God, in fact, wants every. This is a great thing about the family of God. Everyone plays. No one sits the bench. But God in his grace, when he saves you, he gives you a, he gives you a mission that's form fit for you. Like earlier, we, we, lock, uh, we watched the boot camp video. 114 plus three. 
What's your part? What's your part in the game? What's your part on the field? What's the next step for you to step into that plan? It's, we all have it. We all have it. Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, he's not on a mountain with God, he's in a garden. What's interesting about what they talk about is they talk about God's plan for Jesus. What does Jesus say? Can we come up with a new plan? Three times the unstated answer in reply is, the cross is the plan. And all of us who have subsequently come to faith in Jesus, thank him for that. Because that night he's arrested, the next day he goes to the cross. And then Jesus turns to you and I, and you know what he says? I want you to follow my plan. But Jesus, what about the unmet expectations that may come? They may come. They will come. But he says, follow me. Why does he do that? Because there is one expectation that he has already promised us that will never go unmet. That whether he comes or we go, you and I can have an expectation of life eternal with him. Why do we know? Because in the garden, when the plan was, oh, is there another way? Jesus says, I'll go. And because you and I have that as an anchor, that you and I have that as a surety, that there is no way that is ever going to be unmet, that you have that expectation. And because of that, he says, trust me with your life, regardless of what comes. And that's the best life that you and I could possibly live. Unmet expectations. An expectation of heaven forever with your Father and your Savior? <laughs> yes. And it's because of that that we can take whatever step God has for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word this morning as we, as we watch you work with Elijah. I pray that you would continue to work with us that all the things that you want to do in us and through us, that by your grace you would see happen in the power of your spirit for your good and your glory. We just thank you that we have a part to play. May we play it well. In Jesus' name, amen.